You are listening to an Emmanuel Community Church podcast. For more sermons or information about the church, visit our website at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. So last Sunday night was the Grammys, and uh, all of those shows are on too late for an old guy like me. So uh, I never watch them. I get up the next morning and read all about them. I just think it's so interesting because I assume you know this, uh, you probably see this, but uh, you see music and movies and TV shows, they reflect who we are as a culture. And so as you listen to music or as you watch a movie, many times it'll say this is who we are. This particular movie or music wouldn't have worked. 30 years ago or 60 years ago, but right now this is who we are. So I I love to read about those things. I got up and and, I read about who won all the different awards, and of course one was uh, the song of the year, Billie Eilish won the song of the year, and uh, her acceptance speech I want to read to you. Before I do, I want you to know this has nothing to do with her as a person. I think she's fine. I listen to her music. I like it. So it's nothing to do with her. I'm not criticizing her at all. What she does by what she says is help us understand who we are. It's not just her. It's not just musicians. It's professional athletes. It's politicians. Unfortunately, it's probably pastors and many other groups, okay? In fact, many of us here, we are this. She's just giving us a peek into who we are. So here is her acceptance speech. I feel very seen. I feel very heard. And I did not expect that with this song. When we made it, I was like, I don't know how much this is going to translate. I felt kind of outside the box. I felt isolated in my own world. I really was in a period in my life where I did not feel seen at all. And the way people reacted when it came out, I was completely blown away by the way I felt understood. You catch it? It's all about me. Again, I'm not talking about her as a person. I'm talking about us as a society. These are the kind of things that we say. Thank you. It's all about me. I feel heard. I feel understood. Now, the song she won for, most of you know it. It's the song that Barbie sang in the Barbie movie, right? By the way, I went to the Barbie movie with my granddaughter. So again, no, nothing against the Barbie movie, but here's the song that Barbie sings. Of course, Billie Eilish sings it, but it's supposed to be Barbie. These are the lyrics of the first part of the song. I show them to you. I used to float. Now I just fall down. I used to know, but I'm not sure now and so forth. So Barbie, the plastic doll, is singing this, so we can criticize this all we want, because she's not real, okay? <laughs> now look at this. Look at the word I. In fact, let me just show it to you. 16 times in just the first part of the song. I, 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 I. It's all about me. You see, that's the world we're living in. And today we come to a passage of Scripture That is like, it's not about you. Today we come to maybe one of the most counter-cultural texts and counter-cultural principles that you could ever come to in our world. 
I don't know why we're like we are. Some people say it's social media. I don't know. But we have become so self-absorbed. And then you get to Romans 14, it's like getting slapped in the face. It's like this is so contrary to the way we live now. Today we're going to talk about believers considering other believers before themselves. It doesn't matter if it's best for me. If it's not best for you, I won't do it. That's the bottom line. Now, before I even preach this text to you or even read it, let me say this. You could read this text all by yourself and understand basically every part of it. You don't need me. However, you pay me. Right? This is, this is my role. This is my calling. This is my gift. And it's a delight for me now to take it and unpack it for you. So pretend you learned something. Because this is something that we all should, even if you understand it all by yourself, we should study it together. Take your Bibles. Romans chapter 14. Take your sermon notes if you enjoy following along and fill in the blanks. If not, you can use the already filled in blanks on your church app. And uh, let's dig into God's word. As we do, let me just remind, or, or first of all, tell you, those of you in the FLC today, we have one uh, projector. The main projector is down today, and so we'll have to be getting it repaired this week. So that's why you're seeing me on the side screens then differently than what you normally would. So just want you to be aware of that. Want you to know that uh, we had a wonderful evening on Friday night with the uh, Night to Shine. What an amazing event and the way it's done here at Emmanuel because of all you volunteers. It is a wow. One of the best things we do all year and I'm just so impressed by it. Now, looking ahead, VBS registration for June 24 to 28 is open. And you might say, June? That's not even in my calendar yet. I understand. But last year, many of you did not get into VBS because you did not get signed up early. So just a heads up, get it done. Secondly, men, there is the Conquer series that we are starting a new group on March 12th. Conquer series is all about purity of the mind. I had several men come up to me after the service last night and today and say, that was life-changing for me. So guys, if it's something you think might help you grow in your Christian walk, here is the Conquer series. Sign up, get online, go to our events page, you can do the sign-up. Lastly, I'm taking your group to England and Scotland this fall. I have now just two spots left. If you have an interest in it, just see me after the service. Uh, it's a two-week trip, then you can we'll talk about it. By the way, many of you have asked about the Israel trips. And yes, for this year, they were postponed, obviously. But things are already looking like they're opening them up for next year. And so those of you who didn't go in this year and you were signed up and there was like 100 of you, we're going to try to move you to next year, and we're going to contact you and let you know about what's happening. So just, just hang on. Okay, let's dig in. There are two thoughts for this series that Pastor Josh put together, and I love them. I think they're so well written. The first one says, the gospel absorbed is the gospel applied. When I first came to Emmanuel, we had a dream retreat, we called it. And like 60 people, which was almost the whole church at the time, we went away for a weekend and we just planned, we dreamed. What does the church want to be? What, what can we be in our community? And teaching church is what we wanted to do because that's what I wanted to do. But we thought, how can we, how can we say that? And someone said, we learn it to live it. That should be our motto. We learn it to live it. And that's exactly this. 
You absorb it so you can apply it. By the way, after someone said we learned to live it, somebody else, and I don't know who to give credit to, someone said, how about his word, our walk? And we're like, that's it. And that's been it ever since. That's what it means. That's to live out what you've learned. Romans 1 to 11 was what we should know. Romans 12 to 15 is what you should do. Paul's application may seem disorganized. If you just sit down and read Romans 12 to 15 on your own and just read through it. You don't really study. You just read it. I think you might go, wow, that's a little choppy. He jumps from here to here to here. Yes, but what you might miss is that there's like one thread that goes through every passage. It's the thread of love, loving your brother. And you can't miss it in every text, including today's text. Now, I'm going to review four things with you from last week. Number one, Romans 14 is designed to help us accept one's di- one another's differences in lifestyle choices. And oftentimes we call those choices gray areas because they're not necessarily sin. In fact, maybe not at all sin, but they are gray areas. We sometimes don't know what to think about these areas. So we kind of put them in that middle category. It's designed to help us accept one another. Secondly, we always want to consider the weaker brother when we exercise our freedom. We're going to talk a lot more about that today. That's the focus today. But the weaker brother is the one that does not have freedom in a particular gray area. So you don't feel free to do one of those gray area things. You're the weaker brother. Now, sometimes we think, well, if I don't do it, I must be the stronger brother. No, no, Paul says you're the weaker brother because you've drawn kind of a rule. No problem with it. It just makes you the weaker one. He used two examples, eating meat offered to idols, which we don't deal with anymore, holidays, which we do, but in a different way. And then later, as you're going to see today, he talks about drinking wine. Now, keep in mind that oftentimes you are the weaker brother or sister. Don't be offended by that. Just accept it. I, for instance, I told you last week that I think the thing that I struggle with, and I've never had a personal connection to it, but is gambling. This online gambling before a football game. People, you know, using their phones to text in and wagering all this money. And I think, are you destroying your families? And it bothers me. It really bothers me. Gary Dilley told me a little bit ago that tonight, 73 million people will gamble on the Super Bowl. 73 million. But you see, I'm not comfortable. I wouldn't do it. That makes me not the stronger brother, but the weaker brother. Thirdly, we have no right to judge another person in the matter of the gray areas. God is our judge. M-Y-O-B, mind your own business, right? This is not for you to look at another brother and say, well, you should feel free to gamble or he should have a glass of wine or they should play cards and play poker or whatever. Nothing wrong with that. You're not the judge. God is. Fourthly, no matter what choices another Christian makes, if you believe that a particular choice is wrong for you, then it's wrong for you. Now I'm gonna end with this, same thought. So I won't say much more about it except to say this. Every one of us has a weak spot. Maybe you grew up with an alcoholic dad or maybe someone in your family gambled away money or maybe someone in your family has, you know, been either for or against tattoos and you've been offended by that. All of us have a weak spot somewhere. So sometimes you're the weaker brother or sister. So 
this will apply to all of us. Now, what are the gray areas? Let me just give you the six I gave you last week. There's a lot more. But, you know, things like tattoos today, drinking alcohol, vaping, uh, the online gambling, uh, four-letter words that are not in the Bible as being wrong, but we've certainly made them to seem wrong. And then over here, social media, and of course, there's many, many others. But those are some examples. Paul begins this passage with a pivot. It's a genius pivot. He uses the word therefore, we'll come back to this. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Now, why is it genius? Because he takes the first part of the sentence and says, this is what we've just learned. In the first 12 verses, we've learned, don't pass judgment on one another. It's a quick review, one sentence review, actually a half a sentence review. He uses the word to stop judging. It's the Greek word krino. I wouldn't even tell you that except how he uses it. Let me show you. In the second half of that verse, he moves to the next key thought. Then he says, I want you all to decide now. You know what the word decide is in Greek? Krino. Don't judge, but judge. And you go, boy, he was a little mixed up, wasn't he? No, we use it the same way in English. Don't be judgmental, but use your best judgment. Right, same word, just use differently, and that's what he's doing here. Don't judge someone else for what they're doing, but judge yourself to never intentionally do anything that would cause another Christian to stumble. Now, I, I add the word intentionally. I think it's intended to be there. I think it should be there, because here's the deal. All of us offend brothers and sisters in Christ, unintentionally. I've had people say to me, and you probably have too, it offended me when you did that. And I'm thinking, I didn't even know you were there, or I didn't know that was an issue to you, and I wouldn't have done it had I known. But so it's unintentionally it happens. We don't want it to, but it does. But the issue here is to intentionally cause a brother or sister in Christ to stumble. Now, he moves to his main point. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and is approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Now, I'm going to unpack that in basically six thoughts here. But before I even tell you the point that Paul's making, let me show you a point that he makes maybe under the kind of a hidden point. Paul has now done his research and he knows. That's the Greek word ido. I only share this with you because of the phrase he uses here. He knows that nothing is unclean in itself. This knowledge has now persuaded him. Pytho. In fact, if you say this in Greek, ido kai pytho. It kind of rolls. Ido kai pytho. It's easy to say. In English, it's I know and I am persuaded. Before I go on, let me just tell you 
how important it is to know and then be persuaded. In fact, the rest of that thought in your notes says this. Many people are persuaded and then they know. Many Christians, some of you right here, you're persuaded of something but you don't have the facts. So you're persuaded and now you know. The order of knowing and being persuaded is so important. Had a woman come to me a year or so, maybe two years ago, I don't know. Young woman was attending our church and she came to me one Sunday after service and said, I just want you to know I won't be attending Emmanuel any longer. I said, okay, can you tell me why? And she said, I feel judged every time I come. I said, okay, can we, can we go further? How? And she goes, well, I have chosen to live with my boyfriend. And every time I come to church, I feel like, I know you don't approve of that, so I feel like you're judging me. Now, I didn't say that day or even the previous weeks that I know of anything about that particular issue. But somehow she felt judged by it. And she says, I believe that God is okay with us living together before we're married. And I know that we're comfortable with it. Now, it's basically the same thing Paul said, only backwards. I believe it, so therefore I know it to be true. Boy, that is so common in this society, and unfortunately, it's so common among Christians. I, I just believe it to be true, so therefore it's true. No, 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 please. Always look at God's word first. That's the only truth this world has. Always check God's word, and if you know it in God's word, then you can be persuaded of it. Let me shock you in a way with this. The Apostle Paul grew up as a Jewish man. In fact, calls himself the Jew of Jews. He is as strict and legalistic as they come. You can't eat anything that's not kosher. You can't do anything on a Sabbath day. I mean, he had all the rules, right? And then Jesus comes along and says, it's okay. You can do those things. And here's an old Jewish man who had lived in this way all along saying, okay, I've seen the word of God. In fact, let me show you like one text he might have read or maybe even heard. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. Doesn't matter if it's pork or shrimp. Doesn't matter if it's a glass of wine. Nothing going into you can defile you, says Jesus. But it's the things that come out of you. What's that mean? Things come out of your mouth like gossip or lying or judging. Oh, those, those will defile a man. So the apostle Paul goes, wow, really? I can eat pork? I can eat non-kosher food? Can you imagine here's a guy who has always been persuaded that he has to live by the Jewish law. And now he goes, huh, now I know and I'm persuaded. Always start with the word of God and then be persuaded. Don't get it backwards like so many do. Now, I'll get off my high horse here. Let's get on to the passage. Again, nothing is unclean in itself unless you are persuaded that it is unclean for you. But if it is unclean for anyone who, but, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. So if you're out with a group of friends and all of them are having a glass of wine with your meal together, and you're the only one who doesn't have a glass of wine, don't say, if you are uncomfortable, if your conscience would bother you if you had it, don't say, oh, well, 
I mean, I don't want to be the outcast. I don't want to be the different one here. So, okay, I'll have a glass of wine too. Don't do that, says Paul. You don't have to explain to anybody. You don't have to make any excuses. If you don't think it's right for you, don't do it. Thirdly, even though a gray area isn't unclean in itself, you must understand that your freedom could be harmful. It could cause grief. That's Paul's words, cause grief to another believer to their faith because they're not comfortable. So, so you don't want to flaunt your freedom. So I was growing up, I had freedom to play cards. My grandmother, huh. Now every, most every Sunday afternoon, we'd drive to my grandmother's house and we'd have a wonderful meal. She was a great cook. And we'd have a meal and we'd spend some time in the afternoon with her. And if I had said, Mamaw, that's what we called her, Mamaw, is it okay if we play a game after lunch? Sure, she'd say. And so we'd sit down at the table and I'd pull out a deck of playing cards and I'd start to deal them across the table. You know what my grandmother had done? I could just tell you because I saw her do this so many times. Oh, oh, it would have caused her grief. Is there anything wrong with playing cards? Nothing. But to her it was. See, it wasn't unclean in itself, but to her it was unclean and oh, it would cause her grief. Don't sit down across from another Christian and do something that you know they're gonna go, oh, because that would be unloving. Fourthly, in fact, if, if you would continue to flaunt your freedom, every time I go to her house, I pull out another deck of cards and I continue to do it. You know what that looks like? It looks like evil, says Paul. It looks like you're not only flaunting, but now, now you're almost trying to taunt So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of evil. I know she didn't like it. So I didn't take playing cards. I, I'll tell you a little bit probably what I, what I did do wrong. Number five, certainly the kingdom of God means more to you than a juicy steak or a glass of wine. Really, is, it, is, is that steak or that wine that important? Isn't being right with God, says Paul, having peace with God, and then, because of that, knowing the joy of the Holy Spirit, isn't that more important to you? Then why would you even sit around and talk about gray areas when the issue is really your brother and sister in Christ? The key is to do whatever will bring peace in any situation and always pursue what's best for you and your brother and sister. Now, I love how Paul closes this. So then let us pursue what makes for peace first between us and what is mutually uplifting or upbuilding. So I sit down with my brother. I know he's not a wine drinker. It, it bothers him. It bothers his conscience. So I don't order a glass of wine. And you say, but that's not fair to you. Oh, yeah, yeah. It brought peace. And you say, how could that be mutually upbuilding when you didn't get your wine? My wine isn't that important. If I can sit down with my brother and we can have peace and we can encourage each other, what I have to eat or drink doesn't matter. Lastly, or nextly, Paul gives us a few principles in some cases, you're the stronger. Some cases, you're the weaker. Let me unpack the principles. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. 
It's good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that it is good to not eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now these are basically six principles. So let me show them to you. If you are the stronger one, what does that mean? You have no problems with a glass of wine or alcohol. You have no problems with playing cards or tattoos or any of those other gray areas. You, you don't really have an issue with it. You're the stronger one, says Paul. In that case, do not let your freedom destroy what God is doing in the life of another believer. Good for you to have that freedom, but be careful. Look at this. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. And you might say, what's the work of God? Oh, we learned that in other places. Here's one, Ephesians 2. For we are his workmanship. You see, the work of God is what he's doing in the lives of other Christians. And if you sit down with them and hurt their conscience, you are tearing down God's work. You don't want to do that, even though you're free to. Secondly, technically, nothing is wrong. Boy, some of you struggled with that last week. Some of us grew up in a, maybe a very conservative evangelical household where there were so many lines and fences you couldn't cross. And then last week, I tell you, it wasn't me, it was Paul who told you, nothing is unclean. Everything is indeed clean, he says. You can do anything. But there is one fence. There's one line. And this is true for every gray area, right? Don't do it if it causes another Christian to stumble. That's your line. Don't cross it. Think of your brother or sister in Christ before your own needs. Thirdly, the best course of action is to choose not to eat the meat or drink the wine if it might be offensive to another believer. Now, I say that to say, oh, aren't I being a hypocrite? If I usually have a glass of wine, but today I'm not going to because I'm with this particular person, isn't that hypocritical? No. Think about it. What is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is based on motive. If your motive is, well, I'm not going to tell this guy I drink, but as soon as I get home, I'm going to open a bottle. I'm going to enjoy it, and he'll never know. Well, that's hypocrisy. But if you say, I'm going to sit down to a meal, and I'm not going to have a glass of wine because I don't want to hurt my brother. That's not hypocrisy. That's love. Good for you. Number four. Good for you and your strong faith, says Paul. The faith that you have, good for you, for you strong believers. Those things don't bother you. Good for you. Keep it to yourself. That's what Paul says. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Don't go around telling other people. See, that's, that's where I have gone wrong at times. I have a certain belief about something and I tell others that they should believe the same thing. It's dangerous. My, my, my grandmother, for instance, as I was growing up, I felt like I had this calling to make her play cards. <laughs> and I would say to her, there's nothing wrong. They're just printed cards. There's nothing wrong with them. And I, I'd try to convince her. That was wrong of me. Borders on sin. No, I was a kid. I didn't know better. But still, you'd never try to convince someone. Keep it to yourself. Yippee for you if you're free. 
but keep it to yourself. Sit back and enjoy your fact that you're not stuck in legalism. What a joy that is. What a blessing. You grew up in a home or you've had experiences that haven't caused you to be legalistic. Good for you. But don't brag about it. Now, if you're the weaker, and some of us are in certain areas, in fact, probably all of us are in at least one area, if you're the weaker brother in a particular situation, weaker brother or sister, if you don't feel comfortable participating in a particular gray area, then don't participate. Don't do anything that you don't believe is consistent with your faith. If you're uncomfortable, no. There's nothing wrong with that. You say, but I'm weak. Yes, you're the weaker brother. I'm the weaker brother in those situations. But that's okay. We all have these things that have happened in our past or things that we've seen or heard that we say, ah, I don't feel comfortable. If it's not consistent with what you believe, just don't do it. And lastly, anything that you do that goes against your conscience is sin. Now, here's the interesting thing. We all know what sin is. It's defined in Scripture, but there's one sin that is defined just by your conscience. This is it. You sit down with a group of people and they're all having that glass of wine or they're having that steak that's been offered to an idol in Paul's day. And you say, what could it hurt? I don't feel right doing it, but I'm gonna go ahead. Do you realize that's just not wise? That's sin. And so don't do anything that hurts your conscience. I told you last week, I'll say this quickly again. The Bible says you can sear your conscience. That means to burn it. You kind of put a, a scar over it. If you keep going against your conscience, your conscience will quit working. That's another way to say it. So don't go against your conscience. Okay, I'm gonna invite our worship team up. But I'd like to close with two thoughts. These are application thoughts. And I'll close. Number one. Your freedom stops when it offends others. Last week I told you, you're free to do anything. Yes, but when you're with a particular brother or sister in Christ or a group of them, that's where you draw the line and say, I'm gonna place their needs above my wants. I have freedom to do it. They don't. So I will choose to forego my freedom. Secondly, be unselfish. Oh boy, I'll tell you, this is, this is so countercultural because all we talk about is ourselves. Be unselfish in a very, very selfish world. A world that only thinks about themselves. You do differently. This week, look around at your brothers and sisters in Christ and say, how can I meet their needs instead of mine? And honestly, you will find that you are both, both mutually benefited by it. Those are the words from Paul for Romans chapter 14.